initiative that we've been doing. Um, we chose three names that we're going to pray for three times a day for three months. And uh, the idea is that we're just going to bathe some people in prayer, and uh, we are going to uh, ask God to open doors, to uh, initiate conversations, to give us opportunities. And so um, I've heard a couple of stories where uh, the, the Spirit's already working, and so uh, I want to encourage you to keep that up. If you, if you lapsed a little bit, you forgot, don't worry about it. It's, it's, not, not, it's not over. You can jump right back on, continue to pray. Three names, three times a day for three months. If you hadn't got in on that, there's still cards up here. There's still cards back at the hub. Um, you, can, you can jump in on that. Um, we come in here and pray over these at, at, at least uh, three or four times a week. Um, and, and so you are, uh, you are supported in that. Um, this week, uh, we're, we're continuing our, our table series, and, and we're walking through the Gospel of Luke. As I was preparing the lesson this week, I couldn't help but think about my Aunt Vi. Now, uh, her name was Viola, but we all called her Aunt Vi. Aunt Vi was, uh, she was that one that you have in every family tree. You know, every family tree has a few nuts. Um, and if yours doesn't, it's probably you. Um, because everyone does, and Aunt Vi was one of ours. She lived in a little dog trot house out in the woods. And uh, some of you kids, you don't know what a dog trot house is. Some of these older folks, they do. It was a, it was a house, and it was kind of separated into two sections. And there was a big, giant passageway that went right down the middle. Uh, and it was open on both ends so the breeze could blow through. And that was how they cooled uh, the, the home uh, a lot of times before there was air conditioning and things like that. And she lived in a dog trot house way back in the woods. And she was my grandfather's sister. And when I was little, I, I, my grandfather, I went everywhere he went that he would take me. Um, he was my hero. I wanted to be just like him. I followed him around everywhere. And so occasionally he would go out to check on by. That's how he said it. And we would go out there to visit Aunt Vi. And she was always happy to see him when she knew who he was. Um, sometimes she didn't know who he was. And so she'd meet us with a shotgun. And that was a little scary. Um, but once she figured out that it was him, uh, she'd invite us in. He'd usually go early in the morning, so she'd invite us in for breakfast. And, and we would come in, and we'd sit at her little table. And Aunt Vi had, uh, had, had what she called yard birds. Um, that's, that's what we would call now free-range chicken. That was, that, I know, that's a new hip thing, but Aunt Vi had it years ago. They, they, basically, just chickens that wandered around the yard everywhere they wanted to go. And so Aunt Vi would go out while we sat at the table, and she, she knew all the little hiding spots where they would lay. And so she'd go out and rummage through the yard in different places, and she'd come back with an apron full of eggs. And, and as you'd bring, she'd bring those eggs in, it was uh, a little bit interesting for me as a kid. Because those eggs still had parts of the barnyard on them. You, does that make sense? You know what I'm saying? I don't have to get more graphic than that. And she'd, she wouldn't wash those things off. She'd put them in a pot to boil. Now, that's not a big deal because you knew that the heat was going to kill whatever germs there was and, and, and clean them off. And it was on the shell. It wasn't on the part that I was going to eat, right? So it wasn't that big a deal. 
But she would boil these eggs and, and she'd make a little toast. And Now, what was interesting to me was I, I noticed that my grandfather never drank coffee at Aunt Vi's house. My grandfather was a big coffee drinker. I mean, he drank, he's one of those guys, he drank coffee all day long, right? Morning, noon, night, didn't matter. If there was, it, 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 he would drink coffee. And, and he didn't drink coffee at Aunt Vi's house. As I got a little older, I figured out why. Because she would take that water that she boiled those eggs in, and she'd put a little instant coffee in the bottom of a cup, and she'd pour that boiling water in there. And she, You want some coffee, Murray? No, nah, I'm all right. But you learn real quick that what's in the cup is a little more important than what's on the shelf, right? What's inside is a little bit more important than what's on the outside. That is our scripture passage this week. It's funny because don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. I planned this series out months and months ago, and and we're just kind of going through a, a table at a time. And this week, our scripture is about Jesus not washing his hands. Yeah, everything has been on the news. I'm not smart enough to plan that, y'all. This is God. He, he's, he's, he's got it going on. So Luke chapter 11, if you have your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, I say this every week. We want to give you one. Stop by the hub. We have them out there. We would love to give you a Bible that you could take with you. Whether you're just visiting with us, you never plan on coming back. You think these people are nuts? That's fine. We'd still like you to take a Bible with you. Because I, I think that's a blessing that we can give you that will carry on even long after we're gone. Luke chapter 11, verse 37. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you, lawyers, also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you're witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary, yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Once again, we find Jesus eating. This has been a a theme you see running through Luke. 
We're only at chapter 11, and every time we open Luke, Jesus is either at a meal, on his way to a meal, or coming from a meal. He is always involved in some form of eating, so much so that the accusation against him is that he's a glutton and a drunkard. Now, judging by the Greek verbiage used and, and the, the context, and we won't get into all that because that's boring, but, but this was more like a brunch. It wasn't really a dinner. This was an earlier meal. Dinner was the main meal. That was the one they focused on the most. And they would have a couple of smaller meals during the day. Not like a breakfast and lunch like we do because they didn't have that much food. Um, they, they saved their big meal for the end of the day and they would have a couple of smaller meals. And only those who could afford it would be able to host people at one of those smaller meals because most people barely had enough food for themselves at the later meal. So you get this picture that, that this was kind of an upper-class, well-to-do crowd, okay? The, it, they, they come together, they sit down at the table, they lay down on their, on their elbow and kind of recline back and let their feet hang out, and Jesus doesn't wash his hands. Now, I know that's a big deal right now, and, and you hear about it all the time on the news and all this stuff, and people are, 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 are telling us all that we need to just wash our hands, and it's really strange to me because I wonder what these people were doing before. Um, but we won't get into all that. I don't know why you just now realize you need to wash your hands. But um, at any rate, this is not that kind of washing. This was a ceremonial washing. This was... This was about ritual purity, as it is most of the time with the Pharisees. The Pharisees saw themselves as the gatekeepers of ritual purity. Their job in their mind was to protect the Word of God, protect the people's purity, and to create hedges uh, which would keep people from stepping over those lines. They wanted to maintain the purity of the religion. And the Pharisees invented a practice of ritual hand washing. They would pour water on one hand with a pitcher, and then they would take the pitcher in the other hand and pour water on the other hand. And, and after a while, they, uh, they, they stopped doing that, where they would have somebody else wash, pour the water on them because by grabbing the pitcher, they were uh, making the hand unclean again. And it, it, it was a big deal. It, it, was a, it was a formal ritual. It was about... Showing that you were pure, that you were ritually cleansed. It was a, it was a complicated and ritualistic way uh, of washing hands. And Jesus didn't play that game. Jesus didn't get involved in that. And now, this is not an accident. Jesus doesn't forget this. Because everybody who's there would have been participating in this. And Jesus, by not doing it, is being very conspicuous. He's picking this fight. He's doing this on purpose because he wants to make this statement. The Pharisees saw ritual hand washing as an integral part of, of any meal. This is more than just somebody forgetting to say grace when you sit down at a table. Let me read you something from a, a, a midrash that, that one of the Pharisees, one of the, the, the rabbis of the time wrote. 
Um, the hands are susceptible to uncleanness, and they are rendered clean up to the wrist. Thus, if a man had poured the first water up to the wrist and the second water beyond the wrist, the water flowed back to the hand, the hand becomes clean. But if he poured both the first water and the second beyond the wrist and the water flowed back to the hand, the hand remains unclean. If he poured the first water over the one hand alone and then bethought himself and poured the second water over the one hand, his one hand is clean. Can you imagine living in this? I mean, I could keep going. I'm not making this up, y'all. This is what they actually wrote. This is from from real rabbinical documents teaching them how to do this thing. And I can't even figure out what they're doing. Having to live under that system was a big deal. To not follow this was scandalous. We don't get how big a deal this was. I I almost walked up here with a guitar this morning. Because some of y'all, it would have triggered you and you would have understood how these Pharisees felt in that moment. But it's bigger than that. There There are rabbinical writings in the Talmud, which is like the rabbi's commentary on the law. And one rabbi declares that to not wash before eating is the same as lying with a prostitute. Now you're getting a picture of what they were freaking out about. This is not a slight This is not a, oops, I forgot. This is a big deal. And can you imagine how that went? I I once went to dinner at a preacher's house when I was a youth minister. And we sat down at the table, and apparently he noticed that I, I didn't wash my hands. And so he went and left the table, and he came back with one of those big jars of hand sanitizer. And he sets it right beside me, and he says, don't forget to get the brethren off your hands. Yeah, and, and I, didn't, I wasn't invited back very many others. But, but the, the problem, you see, it was kind of like that except more so. These Pharisees are like, Jesus, you, um, you might want to go, you forgot something. You might want to go, and, and I don't know what they were expecting, but they weren't expecting the answer they got. Because Jesus launches into them. You Pharisees worry so much about what's the outside, what's on the outside of the cup that you miss the whole point. It's not about what's on the shell. It's about what's on the inside. The Pharisees are, are worried about cleaning the outside of the cup. But inside it's full of greed and wickedness. It, it, it's a fairly disgusting image. And they didn't clean, you, you don't just clean the outside of a cup. You, you didn't just wash the outside and let the dirtiness stay in. You don't do that. And so Jesus' image is, is very blatant. But he doesn't leave the teaching here. He, he knows that, that we're going to justify ourselves, that we're going to act like that, that our hearts are clean. And so he exposes our hearts. See, the problem with this is that I'm in danger of being exactly like those Pharisees. I run the risk of worrying so much about looking righteous on the outside, about appearing holy, about, about seeming to have my act together, that I miss what's going on inside. I'm in danger of thinking that, that because I come and sit in this building every Sunday, that I'm somehow made holy. I'm in danger of thinking that because I listen to Christian music in my car and, 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 and not the stuff that everybody else listens to, that I'm somehow superior. 
I'm in danger of thinking that because I have a, a daily devotional time that that makes me somehow more holy than anybody else. That I read the right translation or that I worship the correct way or whatever it is, I'm busy washing the outside of my cup. Because I can attend every time the doors are open and still hate my brother. See, I can sing worship songs in my car and, and still come away self-righteous and proud. I've got to make sure that the inside of my cup is clean. Not just the outside. Jesus says, don't forget about that. He says, you should have done this without neglecting this. He doesn't say, don't clean the outside. He says, you should have done both. This morning, I want us to think about when my cup is not clean. Because there are times when I step over this line and I'm just like these Pharisees. There are times when I find myself walking that same path. My cup is not clean when, when we're more concerned about the rules that I think are important than what is important to God. See, the Pharisees were busy keeping commands. They were tithing with meticulous accuracy to the pinpoint. But they weren't obeying the, the, the bigger picture because they were concerned with giving the exact amount that was required by the law and they missed the heart that giving is an act of worship and that we were supposed to be glorifying God in that giving. But more so that, that we weren't just supposed to be giving to the temple. We were supposed to be giving to those around us. See, we run the same risk. When you go to lunch today, the, 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 waiter, the wait staff are going to see you coming. And Christians have a reputation for being the most demanding, the most picky, the rudest, and the smallest tippers. That's wrong. Because we're so busy on the outside of the cup that we forget what's inside and that bubbles over. That's just an example. The Pharisees were the same way. They're concerned about the commands, but they miss justice and mercy and the love of God. See, it's easy for us to pay attention to the command. That It's easy for us to make sure that we don't forsake the assembly, but then we turn around and, and we forget about what's coming out from inside of me. Churches will make sure that, that we have the right prayers, the right songs, that, that the right Lord's Supper is celebrated, but we will ignore those around us and not show them the love of Christ. And we major in the minor. My cup is not clean when we love to be seen. The Pharisees made a show of everything. If they were going to pray, they made a show of praying. It was a spectacle. And they made sure that when they were praying, you knew they were praying. And you knew what they were praying. And if you didn't, they'd get louder and make sure you did. The Pharisees made a show of their tithing. They made a show of their worship. They wanted to be seen as pious and holy. They wanted to be seen and to be recognized for their works of righteousness. They would make sure that people knew every single thing that they were doing so that they were glorified instead of God. Sometimes we think 
but, but nobody recognizes all the things that I'm doing for the Lord. That's the way it's supposed to be. Jesus says, if I get the praise of, of men, then I'm already getting my reward. I'm supposed to be doing my works of righteousness for God because He sees them. And that's the only audience that really matters. It's easy for me to get frustrated, and it's me, easy for me to, to, to want people to, to, to see me and say, good boy, good job. But there's only one that I need to worry about. So don't tell me what you're doing. Don't tell your neighbor what you're doing. Don't do that humble brag thing where you tell them, why well, I, I can't do this because I have this and this and this and this and this and look how busy I am. True disciples are going to keep their focus on Jesus and not want the attention for the good that they're doing in the kingdom. See, my cup is not clean when I'm spiritually dead inside and I'm defiling others because of it. In Numbers 19.16, the law of Moses records that touching a grave or a dead body made one unclean for seven days. The Jewish leaders then decided that they would help this by having all graves marked and the markers whitewashed in such a way that you could not miss them. Therefore, you wouldn't accidentally come into contact with death and make yourself unclean. Jesus says, you guys are like unmarked graves. Because people come into contact with you and your wickedness gets off, rubs off on them. They are made unclean because of their contact with you because you are spiritually dead. See, we do this when, when we don't live out the example of Jesus Christ. When we worship Him with our words, when we worship Him with our mouth, when we worship Him externally, but, but when we're not giving it the heart, that carries over. When you talk to people who are not Christians, when you talk to people who, who are vehemently anti-Christian, inevitably the problems that they have don't come because of some theological disagreement. That's all junk that they propped up their problems with. It comes because Christians have hurt them most of the time. When you get down to the bottom of the bottom of the bottom, now, they'll have all kind of atheistic theories and all kind of this stuff. Most of the time, that's just trappings because inside, there's a hurt deep down where somebody didn't live out the love of Jesus Christ. When I do that, when I allow myself to be spiritually dead inside, it doesn't matter what this looks like because that comes out. My cup's not clean when I burden others, when we burden others but not ourselves. We're good at this because we like to pick on sins that we don't have a problem with. Most of the time, we like to pick on sins that, that don't directly affect us. I've been asked a lot of times to preach more on homosexuality, but I've not been asked to preach a lot on gossip. Because we like the sins that don't affect us. The ones that are a little close to home, we want to skip over that. Now, I'm not saying that we're soft on sin. I'm not saying that we don't call sin, sin. But we need to be careful that we're not burdening others at the expense of ourselves. Jesus calls that trying to pick the speck out of your brother's eye. True disciples think of 
what we can do, what I need to do, how I need to have relationship with God, and not you. My cup is in danger of being unclean when we worship the past. The people in that generation were honoring the prophets by building memorials and graves and markers for them. And Jesus says, you're building memorials for prophets that your fathers killed. And that judgment now is coming down on you. We run the risk of putting up monuments to the past. When, when we make our traditions pharisaical, where they are more important than anything else, we dishonor our heritage. We in Churches of Christ became who we are because of brave men who stood up and said, we're not going to be about tradition or man-made doctrine. When we turn around and make decisions based on tradition and man-made doctrine, we do the exact same thing these Pharisees are doing. And our cup's not clean. Our cup's not clean when we fail to be a light to the world. These religious leaders were supposed to be leading people to God. Instead, they were putting up hedges that kept people from God. We too are supposed to be leading people to salvation. The mission of, of us as Christians is, is not to maintain some kind of moral purity until I die. It's to share the good news of Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world. That's what this is about. We're trying to ask God to open doors to give us opportunities so that we can share our faith, so that we can share our love of Jesus, so that we can share the good news that's brought us forgiveness and salvation with a world that so desperately needs it. We're in danger of stepping into the same woes that plagued these Pharisees. And this morning, I think we all got to take a good look inside our cup. What's inside my cup? The, the reason that we feel alone and secluded is because we're living two lives. The reason that we feel uh, separated is because we're pretending to be Christians instead of, instead of being filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be cleansed from the inside out. We can't draw near to God until we give Him our whole heart. This morning, I don't know where you're at, but I, I encourage you to take a good long look inside your cup. Whatever you find there, we have to do our best to ask God to step in and clean that. This morning, as part of our invitation, we're going to have elders and their wives at the back of the building. That's not because they're holier than any of us. It's because they are placed by God as shepherds, spiritual shepherds of this church. Their job is not to choose what color we paint the nursery. Their job is to worry about the spiritual well-being of each and every person who is a member of Huntsville Church of Christ. So when we provide that, it's not confession time. It's not come do three Hail Marys and, and all that stuff. This is about having somebody who is genuinely concerned about my spiritual well-being who wants to pray for me, who wants to pray with me. 
So when we sing this song, if you're convicted this morning and you, you want to cleanse that cup, I encourage you, go back there and say, just pray with me that my cup can be cleaned. You don't have to tell them what's going on. You don't have to give them details. They don't care. They don't need to know all that. God knows. But I do encourage you, take advantage of that. Take advantage of that opportunity. The Bible says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Take advantage of that opportunity. If we can help you this morning, if we can help you to, to, to pray with you, to lift you up, to pray for you, to pray over you, to, to, to let you uh, put Jesus in control of your life and, and to confess Him, to repent of your sins, to be buried with Him in baptism and raised to a new creature. We want to do that for you this morning. However we can help you, I encourage you to come right now while together we stand and sing. Have thine affection.